0: So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is Monday morning in the morning 10:08 a.m. Pacific daylight time. It's the 17th of October 2022. This is episode 632. Of Bitcoin. And let's just check in on our good friend, The Clown Show. Hey, how you doing, little buddy? You feel like
1: you're sounding the alarm for people that don't understand what the fuck is going on. So here, I'll put it up for you here, yeah? So there's the video. Yeah. I don't know if your camera can see that, but there's the video. There's him speaking about it. The G7 is launching a set of public policy principles for retail central bank digital currencies, CBDCs. Central bank digital currencies could be a digital version of money, a bit like a digital banknote that could be used alongside. Right, so that's the guy who runs our economy in the UK. His name's the Chancellor of the Exchequer, and here is the article: Bank of England tells ministers to intervene on digital currency programming. Yeah, and here's a quote from the article. This is in the Telegraph, the one he pulled up, but it was behind a paywall, so I'll just read the quote. Digital cash could be programmed to ensure it is only spent on essentials or goods which an employer or government seems to be sensible holy shit I'm gonna take it one step further Joe. right so the vaccine passport infrastructure is in place but now we know that the vaccine doesn't stop infection or transmission but the checkpoint Charlie exists everywhere they bring in digital banking central banking digital currencies you've got a scenario now that you're checking in and out everywhere you go using vouchers that are programmed and you can only spend where you're told you can spend them there's another word for that man That's called the Chinese social credit system. That's what it's called. And anyone who watches Black Mirror will know what I'm talking about. That's that TV show, right? Yeah. So what they are telling us, and when I say they, who's they? People in power. That's the head of our economy, the Chancellor of the Exchequer, second most powerful person other than the Prime Minister and maybe the Foreign Secretary in the UK, right? He's telling us, I just played it there for you. He's telling us that's what he, as the UK, the head of the G7, want to bring in for the G7. So a scenario where like in New York at the moment, because the the passport infrastructure is in place, you bring in that digital currency and you've got this total control. And if I'm speaking to you the way I'm speaking now and my employer or government, you heard that in the quote directly, yeah, deems me as saying or doing something inappropriate, suddenly I can't actually pay to come here and speak to you anymore. My my digital currency won't even pay for the ticket because it will be known that I'm coming to speak to you. Sorry, your, your vouchers don't allow you to purchase that ticket to go and speak to
0: Okay, for those of you who don't know, that was the Joe Rogan Experience, and that was uh, Majid Nawaz on Joe Rogan Experience number 1780, if you want to go see the full show. Uh, That's some scary-ass shit, because, you know, Bitcoiners have been talking about that ever since the inception of CBDCs, that the tool of programmable money can cut both ways depending on the platform. Now on the Bitcoin platform, its protocol, uh, programmable money really works for the people. But on a centrally controlled platform like CBDCs or Ethereum, which make no mistake, at 52%, you know, minor extracted value blocks being OFAC compliant, Ethereum is indeed a centralized platform. Then programmable money does not work for the people. It works directly against the people. But here was the thing is that a couple of OG Bitcoiners talked about one side of that, but most of us were talking about how government would use it to make sure that you could only buy, you know, goods and services that they approved of. And that's bad, but enter the employer. More specifically, your employer. Do you work for a state college or university? Do you work for the FBI? Do you work for a private ass woke company that's not even all that big? Well, now your money is going to be, they're going to have a say alongside of the government, which is bad enough, how you get to spend your money, what you get to spend your money on. If you get to spend your money at all, and I would assume during all this, that they also control whether or not you get any money. Not that that really matters. Honestly, that's like the least of your fucking worries at this point. Even if they give you money and you can't spend it on anything that you think you want or need, they you know they'll they'll tell you what they'll tell you what you need, won't they? Won't they? We can't. Ford did this. Henry Ford built. He was one of the guys that built one of the first corporate cities, right? If you worked for Ford, you lived, I want to say Dearborn, Michigan, but I'm not sure that that's correct. Whatever it is, town that Ford built, that's where you lived. If you worked for Ford, he owned the housing. He owned the general store where you did your shopping. He was your employer. He was also your tax collector, the guy that paved your streets. If there were any paved streets at the time, I don't think they were. They were still probably dirt. Everything about living in Ford's city, if you were an employee of Ford, was controlled by Henry Ford. It was not a good deal, dude. Not, it was not a good deal. Now, back then, Ford was probably a lot more magnanimous than any of the jokers that we got walking around the planet today, but make no mistake, he is a power-hungry son of a bitch, and he got rich off the backs of the people that worked for him, lived in his town, paid him rent, because I don't, you <laughs> didn't buy houses from Ford. No, no, you rented them. <laughs> you rented them, and you ate at his restaurant, so he got your money that he gave you, because those were all approved items. And if I remember correctly, Ford did not allow alcohol to be sold anywhere on premises in his town. Certainly, he did not allow alcohol in the Ford factory. Of course, you don't really want to go into a factory with, you know, heavy moving stuff when you're half hammered or even slightly hammered. And God forbid, fully bombed out of your tree. But I digress. Uh, Here's another set of people that don't drink, but apparently they do Bitcoin. Meet the Catholic nuns who are building a new church with Bitcoin. This is written by Andrew Flattery for Bitcoin Magazine. An observer of modern culture paying even the slightest bit of attention might aptly compare today's world to the Roman Empire in the 6th and 7th centuries. This was a period of cultural decline where barbarian invasions destroyed cities, libraries, laws, and even governments. During this time, it was medieval monks, such as Saint Benedict, who preserved and built up Western civilization. The monks did this by preserving ancient texts, saving agriculture in Europe, and preaching the gospel. Today, the Benedictines of Mary, Queen of the Apostles, are doing their part to build up a civilization in the midst of cultural decay, and they are doing it with the help of Bitcoin. These traditional Catholic nuns are a monastic order who follow St. Benedict's rule and buy, receive, and hold Bitcoin in cold storage on behalf of their monastery. They survive on self-sufficiency and financial support from around the world. They have nuns from Mexico, England, Germany, of course, the Netherlands, and Lithuania making Bitcoin their ideal money. I'm pausing here for effect. The Netherlands... What's going on here? Why is the Netherlands so becoming so very deeply entrenched more than seemingly almost any other country, even bypassing El Salvador, Nether the the Dutch are just all they're always around Bitcoin. It's amazing and their government is doing everything they can to destroy everything about the Netherlands. Is that why I don't know. It, it just Understand that I'm seeing a, every day I see the Netherlands connected with Bitcoin. It's, it's the most amazing thing. But anyway, <clears throat> while driving through the hills of North Kansas City, Missouri, in route to the monastery, I wondered, what could possibly be the connection these nuns have to Bitcoin? Father Matthew, Matthew Bartulica, chaplain of the monastery, put it to me this way, quote, The monastic life is probably the greatest example of low time preference. It's all about passing on the traditions to future generations. This also has a huge impact on the culture because it's not all about satisfying one's immediate desires, but building a better future. Today's world doesn't offer much hope because nothing is valued, partially because the money is broken, just like it was in ancient Rome. The Benedictines helped rebuild civilization 1,500 years ago. And I believe that the life of the Abbey is like a citadel. Oh my God. A popular term with Bitcoiners that will help to rebuild civilization in the 21st century. End quote. Father Bartulika is the orange-pilled Catholic priest at the monastery. He ably references Dr. Seyfedean Amas, author of the Bitcoin Standard, on issues such as fiat architecture and fiat food. I was introduced to the priest by a mutual friend, quote, you're a Catholic who's into Bitcoin. You have to meet this priest, end quote. It was Father Bartulica who set up the sisters with hardware wallets and taught them how to send, receive, and get on the path toward financial sovereignty. He is on a mission to convert local Catholic parishes to a Bitcoin standard. So far, the Benedictines of Mary have been most ready and able You can see some parallels between the Bitcoin ethos and the way these nuns live. The sisters walk the walk by dedicating their lives to the long-term, even into the eternal. Following the model of ora et labora, which means work and pray in Latin, they demonstrate low time preference by praying eight times a day, growing their own produce, and raising their own cattle and chickens. These nuns even released award-winning and soul-lifting chant and hymn music. Mother Abbess Cecilia is the young and vibrant abbess of the monastery and put it this way, quote, what we are doing is building up civilization. We are hanging on to the traditions of the church and the traditions that built up Western culture. We are stable. We have order. We know what we're supposed to do and we do it every day. We do it with love, with diligence, end quote. One thing I was immediately struck by when visiting the monastery is the brand new awe-inspiring church that dominates the grounds. I expected to drive up to a modern utilitarian building, as disappointingly can be expected from any average suburban church today. Instead, the sisters built an architecturally beautiful structure that includes hand-painted murals, Italian marble, vaulted ceilings, and stained glass windows. This was possible thanks to generous Bitcoin donations made back in 2017. These donations allowed the Benedictines to build a church for the ages without the burden of debt financing. Mother Cecilia described her first encounter with Bitcoin in 2017, quote, they, their Bitcoin benefactors, knew we had a need to build the church and boy, did that help us. I mean, wow, what a blessing. Without it, I don't know if we'd still be paying off a loan on this beautiful building or not, end quote. So despite the reputation, that Bitcoiners may have as miserly hoarders, generosity shone through, and the nuns were able to sell proceeds tax-free for the purpose of building their church. Quote, We have had such beautiful success with several very large Bitcoin donations to help build this house of prayer. If I were someone who had means, I would want to assist in making tangible goods, not something that is slapped up for the last 50 years, something that's going to last, something that will be passed down from generation to generation to last a thousand years. This beautiful monument to God's glory," in quote, says Mother Cecilio. At first glance, it may seem incongruous to see traditional Catholic nuns embracing Bitcoin. These are nuns who wear their full habit but technology has assisted them in seeing significant growth in their order of religious sisters. Many young women have discovered the Benedictines of Mary by searching for Catholic monasteries online and traditional Latin mass ones in particular. The internet, and now the Bitcoin network, have also made it possible for generous benefactors around the world to easily play a role in building a monastery. Their music has now been streamed over 3.5 million times on platforms such as Spotify. The sisters' prudent embrace of technology indeed has paid off. My favorite part of the trip, beyond the spiritual benefits, was witnessing the number of things the nuns do to prepare their own food. The sisters treated me to a lunch of vegetable and beef soup, homemade rolls and butter, all produced on site. The conversation was over ideas on honest money, how the church could benefit by adopting Bitcoin and the health benefits of raw milk. Quote, who knows how to farm anymore? This is one thing we do that we do and are hopefully getting better at every year, just self-sustaining. So we can work closely with the ground, the soil, and God's creation and produce our own food right here. It's a beautiful thing again, quote from mother Cecilia. While admittedly foreign to many of us living in the clown world, myself included, the desire to join traditional religious life is growing. Every year, the Benedictine sisters host over 150 visiting women from around the world to discern the process of joining their order. Out of these women, around 10 will take permanent vows. As a result, their space is bursting at the seams and plans are in the works for another new monastery to be constructed constructed in southern Missouri. It may be the case that the importance of traditional religious organizations, such as the Benedictines of Mary, adopting Bitcoin will become more essential as the creeds they profess grow more deplorable among the mainstream. (coughs) Excuse me. The sisters are familiar with their unpopularity in the eyes of our conformist culture and have even been the target of shootings in recent years. One can imagine this sort of animosity being used as justification to impede an organization's use of their own bank account, as in the Canadian trucker situation in early 2022, even for a group of unassuming religious sisters. While churches and monasteries exist to stand as a refuge against a declining culture, their own finances are still at the whim of of artificial inflation and the traditional financial system. The permissionless nature of Bitcoin ensures that these spiritual citadels can be immune from to financial censorship while simultaneously interacting with the global monetary network, so long as they choose to adopt Bitcoin. The sisters accept Bitcoin donations on their website and let me go to their website and see if it'll pull up. Uh, their website is all one word, org. Again, that is music.benedictine, sorry, benedictinesofmary.org, benedictinesofmary.org. Okay, so there's a couple things, there's a couple things of things of relative surprise for me here that the Catholic church would allow this shit. Don't get me wrong, you know me, I love Bitcoin, but I am very surprised that the Holy See, out there at the Vatican, isn't as pissed off as they can possibly be. Why? One, it seems clear to me that the church, the Catholic church at the highest levels, at least, and I'm talking about the Vatican, the Holy See, are flat out in bed with the world economic forum, the international monetary fund, and basically do they they're just playing their part in clown world. They're saying, so, I mean, I've, I've seen the last Pope, maybe he resigned because he knew where this shit was going, but this new Pope, I'm like, are you serious, dude? I mean, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to go back through all the, the crap that this dude has said, but it's just stupid. Right? So I've, I've like my favorite Pope was John Paul, II. I loved that guy. I'm not even Catholic. I love John Paul II. But the last two popes that that we have, they're just, it's like they're just puppets. I can see it. I hope you can see it. But that leads me into this, how on earth this particular monastic order is able to, to get away with this is, is amazing because it's clearly going against the wishes of IMF, WEF, World Bank, EU Central Bank and all those guys. They don't want anybody using Bitcoin. They want them to use their money. But moreover, they're not using the Catholic Church bank. That's the one that's the kicker here. That's the one that makes me go, "Whoa, dude, you guys are playing with fire." But they've already built this 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 cathedral. I have not seen it, so I don't know how big it is, but If it's, you know, the description I have in my mind given from the, from the news story is that it's probably built of stone and is really big and something that you can't just make go away. Right. But still they funded it outside of the Catholic church monetary rails. And I get the feeling that that's probably a no, no. So I would watch these guys if I were you, because if, God forbid that I mean that if Bitcoin permeates into the Catholic church and gets all the way up to where the Holy See himself says, this is good. Well, everybody else in the mon- in the traditional monetary world lost immediately. You're talking about, I don't know, what is it? 1.3 billion Catholics on the planet. It's nothing to sneeze at, dude. That's like one-sixth, one-seventh of the population of the world. Uh, I hope this works for these guys. I hope they don't get, you know, nailed to the wall and excommunicated by the Catholic Church because honestly, the, I think that that would be on the table. Maybe I'm going into a little bit of hyperbole on that one, but I don't think so because the Catholic Church is really tightly controlled, and they've stepped completely outside the monetary boundaries that the Catholic Church is comfortable with. That, I guarantee. Let's let's move on. What's Cameron Winklevoss doing nowadays? Well, he's resigning from Gemini Europe director's post. That's what he's doing. Will McCurdy tells us a little bit more from Decrypt. .co, billionaire Gemini co-founder Cameron Winklevoss is no longer a director at Gemini Europe, according to a company's house filing made on October the 12th. Gemini Europe is a wholly owned subsidiary of the New York-based Gemini Cryptocurrency Exchange, who currently provides services in 29 European countries. Cameron co-founded Gemini in 2014 alongside his twin brother Tyler, which has since grown to become the 10th largest crypto exchange in the world, according to CoinGecko. The twins became fairly well known in the mainstream media for their role in the early history of Facebook, which led to a series of highly publicized lawsuits where the brothers sought multi-million dollar remuneration for their alleged contributions to the success of the social networking giant. The brothers have also attracted attention for their generally bullish attitudes to the future of Bitcoin, which they regularly communicated industry events. Gemini has yet to provide any reason whatsoever as to why the change took place, though Decrypt has contacted the firm for additional information. Winklevoss isn't the only top executive to leave Europe or Gemini Europe's board of directors in the past month. The firm's executive leadership is currently undergoing some serious changes. Blair Halliday, who had served as managing director of Gemini for two years, jumped ship to become managing director UK of crypto exchange Kraken earlier this month. Gemini's board of directors has also seen several new appointments in the past month. Gillian Lynch was appointed director on October the 7th, 2022, just a week before the firm launched in Ireland, after becoming the first crypto exchange to acquire an electric money license in the country in October of 2020. Uh, piping companies like, or pipping Piping? I'm going to go with pipping. Companies like Coinbase, Stripe Square, and Meta formerly Facebook to the post. Lynch joined the firm in April 2021 with the experienced Irish exec, bringing around two decades of financial service expertise to the table, including an 11-year stint at the Bank of Ireland and well over three years at Irish core banking vendor Leverus. It's unclear whether Winkelvoss's disappearance from the board of directors has any connection to the Irish expansion, though the company did say that, quote, going live in Ireland is the latest step in its European growth strategy. But it's not just Gemini's top executive leadership that is moving on to new pastures. In June 2022, the firm announced plans to lay off around 10% of its staff with the memo attributing the decision to current turbulent market conditions that are likely to persist for some time, end quote. The move by Gemini was not dissimilar dissim- to the actions taken by Coinbase at around the same time, who also cited issues surrounding the crypto winter when trimming off a large percentage of its staff. So I, you know, speculation is going to abound about this one, but is it, is it that Gemini is tanking? Were they too exposed to Terra Luna ecosystem? I don't know. But it seems awfully weird that Cameron would just kind of bail out as a board of directors unless... Unless he's got something else up his sleeve. You never know about the Gemini twins. You never you just you never know. Bitcoiners have Cassandra's curse. This is the next one up, Bitcoin magazine written by Mark Mariah. Legend has it that there was once a princess of Troy named Cassandra, the daughter of King Priam and Queen Hecuba, sister to Hector, the prince of Troy who famously fought Achilles. Uh, the god Apollo fell in love with her and in an attempt to woo her, gave her the gift of being able to see the future. Unimpressed, she rejected his love. (laughs) A god could not take back a divine gift once it had been given. So, in his anger, Apollo could only give her something more. This time, it was a curse. Cassandra was fated always to see the truth of the future, but never to be believed by anyone who she told her vision to. The frustration that this must have left Cassandra suffering is a sensation rather familiar to most Bitcoiners. All of us who understand our monetary system realize how bad it is. Shockingly, this is not because any of us have been taught about it. It's not taught in grade school or anywhere else in the modern curriculum, even though half of every transaction involves money, and for much of the world, dollars. On a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being about as bad and unfair as possible, our financial system is clocking in at a 9.5, heading steadily towards that 10. There isn't an adjective for bad or unfair that will convey the idea fully. How many more months, years, or decades will it take for the masses to discover this reality? Will they ever? Who knows? What we do know is that most Bitcoiners have seen it, and even many in the altcoin universe have seen it too, and we can't unsee it. We also tend to sound like nut jobs when we attempt to explain it to family and friends, and so many of us have given up trying, or we've been told in no uncertain terms, can we not talk about it for tonight, please? Take, for example, the recent monetary woes of the United Kingdom. With the national currency losing tremendous value in an incredibly short period of time, it should be apparent that there needs to be a monetary alternative. Some see it, as told in this article about the Isle of Man, which I read to you on Friday. But for many people, not just the British, currency collapse is a spectator sport, not something that they feel they have power of changing. One problem for Bitcoiners is, once we have seen the injustices of the fiat system, most of us feel some kind of evangelizing drive, or at least some degree of moral responsibility to try to show what we have seen to the people that we care about, and to help them extricate themselves to a greater or lesser degree from the inevitable consequences of the current unfair system by buying Bitcoin. And then we have Bitcoin itself. Almost no one understands it. This tech addled boomer has been studying it intensely for thousands of hours and still doesn't fully grasp all the advantages it offers to the average citizen on this planet, particularly the most v- vulnerable or, ugh, yes, vulnerable and poorest among us in the global south. Bitcoin is about as brilliant an idea as the mind can possibly conceive of a digital monetary system. There isn't an adjective for brilliant that will convey how wonderful an alternative it is to the United States dollar. Juxtapose these two systems together and what do you get? Cognitive dissonance. A gap wider than the oceans. Cassandra's curse. That delta is wide. It's an ignorance gap larger than the distance to the sun. There is no cure for Cassandra's curse other than time and patience. We're so early. Okay, that's the end of the article. Uh, I'm in total agreement. There's nothing about this that I can that I can find as an analogy that fails. You know, Cassandra is a uh, a name is a moniker that was taken by uh, what's that dude's name that called um, Dr. Burry, Dr. Michael Burry. When he is actually on Twitter, his Twitter account's name is Cassandra because he saw it. Right in 2006, 2007, he saw it. He he like looked at the loans that were making up these tranches, these double B's, triple B's, A's, triple A's. He was looking at all of them, and he's like, "These are all built on bad loans," and everybody thought he was insane, and he was 100% correct. And the way that that Jenga tower tumble—a little reference to the Big Short movie. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend watching it at least three times because you're going to find something new in it every day. It tumbled exactly the way he said it was going to tumble. And it did. The only thing that he was wrong about was his time scale. That was it. That was the only thing Michael Burry was wrong about when it came to that shit was the time scale. But he was right. I think that's why he chose the moniker Cassandra for his avatar on Twitter. I I really, truly believe that. What most of you guys probably, I don't know, read a biography of his and it spells it out clearly in there. I don't know. But after reading this part, this piece from Bitcoin Magazine, I'm absolutely 100% certain that Michael Burry is Cassandra because of Cassandra's curse. Now, Bitcoin miner Digihost risks NASDAQ delisting as its stock plunges 84% this year. (laughs) oop dee doo Decrypt.co Sujith Asamraj is writing this one. Last Monday, DigiHost, the Houston-based crypto mining outfit received a deficiency notice from NASDAQ after its stock price traded below $1 for a prolonged period of time, violating the exchange's listing compliance. According to NASDAQ listing rule 5550, (laughs) a subparagraph two or something like that, a deficiency notice is issued if a company's stock trades below $1 for $1 for 30 consecutive days. DigiHost has been provided a 180-day compliance period until April the 10th, 2023. The stock must trade above $1 for 10 consecutive business days before this period concludes. Quote, if the company does not regain compliance with that rule by April the 10th, the company may be eligible for an additional 180 calendar day compliance period, DigiHost wrote in a filing with the SEC regarding its compliance failure with the NASDAQ. On August the 23rd, 2022, DGHI slipped below $1 for the first time since its listing on the exchange on November the 15th, 2021. As of this writing, uh, DGHI has fallen from $4.60 in January this year to $0.71 today, making a whopping 84% drop in its price. In the SEC filing, DigiHost assured investors that it would resolve the compliance issues with NASDAQ and clarified that the company's business operations have not been affected by the recent notice. How, How are you going to resolve your stock price being in the shitter? There is nothing you can do about that except buy a fuck ton of your stock back. And where are you gonna get the liquid cash? Nobody's lending right now. Maybe for mortgages and auto car loans, but on a scale this large, good luck finding the liquidity to buy back your stock. See, this is what happens when you run a business that is, when you, when you run a business along the, the rules, the regulations and the rails, of the traditional financial system, but your business represents a complete transformation of everything monetary that we've ever known throughout the history of humankind. This is what happens. You cannot run a Bitcoin business along the traditional financial rails, instruction book, manual. We've done it before. This is the way it's always been done. All of that needs to go out of the window taking loans to buy your liquid, to get liquidity, to buy your stock back so that you don't get delisted off the NASDAQ. Close shop. You need to sell your shit to somebody else. Man numbers. Speaking of, let's run them. CNBC futures and commodities West Texas intermediate up three quarters of a point to $86 and 22 cents. Brent North sea likewise up, uh, two thirds of a point to $92 and 24 cents natural gas, taking it in the ball sack today, 6.5% to the downside, just above $6 per thousand cubic feet. I just don't get this. I really don't, but whatever gasoline is down 0.6% to $2.61 a gallon gold is doing well up 0.88% to $1,663 silver is up likewise 3.29% to $18.66 platinum up 2.36% copper is the only loser today down a third of a point Uh, palladium is up a third of a point uh, agricultural futures are mixed, more red than green. Who's the winner? Oh, soybean. Soybean is the winner, 0.31% to the upside. Biggest loser today is chocolate or cocoa, 1.94% to the down. Uh, <laughs> all the uh, indices are way up today, guys. It's over. The recession is over. Dow up 1.94%. S&P up 268 NASDAQ up a whopping 35 And S&P mini up 2.83%. And Bitcoin seems to be doing kind of okay. $19,500 with 374,000 BTC being sent in the last 24-hour period. The average transaction value is 1.52 BTC. The median transaction value, however, has fallen off of a cliff to 0.019 BTC or $380, I'm used to seeing about 500. Uh, 10 minute, eight second block time. So we're kind of in the pocket on that one. We have 0.07 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis, 10.85 BTC taken in fees overall in the last 24-hour period. With a 6.93% drop in hash rate, we are still at 256.8 exahashes hashes per second. And your shitcoin indicator is Dogecoin, chilling out at six United States pennies. So that pretty much tells you what all the rest of the shitcoin market is doing. There are 9,378 transactions waiting on four blocks to clear. We got a $373.5 billion market cap. That's 3.4% of gold's entire market cap. And now you can get 11.8 ounces of shiny metal rock with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 19,181,698.42 of. 5,005.76 of those are in the Lightning Network valued at $97.5 million, being run over 17,205 nodes with 83,194 payment channels. Percentage of Tor capacity of the Lightning Network has fallen again. 68.3, I repeat, 68.3% of the Lightning Network is going over Tor. And I really miss your channels, Greg. I hope the Halloween extravaganza is over soon so that your channels come back online. Inside joke. I won't tell you about it. That's going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the news you can use. We're going to start out with my only boostagram from Friday's show. You know, I swear to God. If I never knew what the price of Bitcoin was doing ever, any cryptocurrency, no news about a bear market. Like I just held it and I had no idea how much it was worth. I would know we would be in a bear market simply by the numbers of how many people are listening to the show and how many grams I'm getting. I've only got one and it's from my good friend, Letter 6173 with a Striper Boost, 7,777 Sats. If you didn't know, says, here is some treasure in place of time or talent. Thank you, letter. I appreciate that, man. You're my only boost today. You're the only one I love today. <laughs> What's one boost to Uh how, Tell me, you know, you're in a bear market without knowing you're in a bear market. Okay. <clears throat> Sajaz Jajit from Cointelegraph.com. I'm pretty sure i just butchered the shit out of his name. What the new EU sanctions mean for crypto exchanges and their rusky clients. He says Russian, but whatever. 9 months into the conflict between Ukraine and Russia, sanctions against the latter have continued to grow at an aggressive pace. This time around, legislators legislators for the European Union announced that they are introducing a complete ban on all cross-border crypto payments between Russia and its citizens. Good luck with that. To elaborate, a prohibition of all crypto asset wallets, accounts, or custody services, irrespective of the amount of the wallet, has now been initiated by the EU in response to Russia's continued annexation of Ukraine land, and repeated mobilization of troops within the country, and threats of nuclear escalation. It is worth noting that previous sanctions had limited cryptocurrency payments between Russia and EU wallets to 10,000 euros. The new ban seeks to deprive the Kremlin's military power while curtailing critical components of its industrial complex. In light of the EU's aforementioned sanction, a whole host of cryptocurrency exchanges popular in the region, including local bitcoins, Crypto.com and Blockchain.com issued emails to their customers telling them to withdraw their funds as soon as possible since they would be unable to make use of their services henceforth. It is worth considering that as of September 2022, local bitcoins accounted for a whopping 8% of Russia's crypto trade volume, the exchange's largest client base by far. Moreover, before the ban, Russian users were responsible for facilitating just under 20% of all total BTC trading volumes on the exchange. Binance, one of the world's largest crypto exchanges, is also working towards implementing the new restrictions. However, a representative for the firm told Cointelegraph that these changes may take some time to go live, with there being, you know, no set date for the same. Similarly, Bitfinex, an exchange that had previously spoken out against the growing sanctions being levied against Russian nationals, recently changed its tune claiming that it may have to amend its policies if directed by the regulatory authorities by which they are governed. Lastly, earlier this month, popular blockchain developer Dapper Labs suspended russian citizens from accessing its wide array of digital asset services as a result users from that side of the world will no longer be able to access the firm's popular nft marketplace (laughs) alongside several other crypto products if that's what you can call them to better understand the situation coin telegraph reached out to ajay dingra head of research and analytics for cryptocurrency exchange unison Taking a more holistic approach toward the matter, he highlighted that one primary use case of digital assets is to assist citizens of a country at war to protect their savings, adding, quote, The ban will bring pain to Russian retail and some financial institutions. Given the fact that BTC experienced sharp appreciation in price when the war broke out, European authorities took note of this loophole in their strategy to curtail and suffocate Russia, end quote. Similarly, President Kral, CEO of Zonda, one of the Eastern Europe's uh, largest exchanges by volume, told Cointelegraph that the sanctions, along with the EU's yet-to-be-finalized markets and crypto Assets regulation, which will be enforced by the EU's Financial Action Task Force, can potentially redefine the region's crypto landscape for the foreseeable future, adding, quote, as the situation escalates. Irrespective of their personal views on crypto regulation, the decision by exchanges to comply with new EU sanctions is a moral and ethical responsibility that all companies should carefully consider." Quote. In the past, regulators have taken a heavy hand with exchanges that continue to allow citizens of blacklisted countries to trade on their platforms, which leads to the question, what will exchanges with massive volumes of ruble trading pairs do with these assets? De Hingra said, Quote, this time, they will be cautious, given the brevity of the situation. The exchanges are now left with no option but to realize major losses on their balance sheets. However, the ban will bring decentralized finance back into the spotlight as it provides a censorship-resistant and easily accessible infrastructure for people living in geopolitical turmoil, end quote. Kral noted that as of now, it is unclear whether exchanges will be forced to return funds to Russian users, block access to them, or freeze their accounts until sanctions are lifted. Lastly, he highlighted that Zonda closed all Russian-held accounts during the first round of sanctions back in May, returning all ruble-paired assets to their rightful owners. As highlighted previously, even though Binance is still considering limiting its services for Russian users, it is currently operating as per usual. Similarly, United States-based exchange Kraken has not laid any impositions on its Russian clients, with there being no indication as to whether or not it decides to voluntarily adopt EU requirements. Why would you? Screw the EU. If you're not part of the EU, fuck them. I'd... Dude, not, whatever. Another popular exchange that has yet to initiate any sort of ban is Antigua and Barbuda-based FTX. The same has been the case for the popular Russian uh, cryptocurrency platform Garantex, which still provides traders in the region with a wide range of advanced services such as futures and derivatives. Other popular platforms operating in the region, including Seychelles registered Huobi Global, uh, sorry, got a phone call there. Uh, OKX okay, KuCoin and, uh, uh, MexC Globa. Wow. In fact, Singapore registered Bybit told a crypto outlet that it will continue to stand by its ethos of freedom, transparency, and decentralization, and not impose any sanctions against Russian clients, many of whom may not even agree with the war or the stance taken by the leaders. Lastly, it should be noted that United Kingdom-based crypto exchange Exmo, which is extremely popular across Eastern Europe, sold its Russian business to a local vendor earlier this year. The platform continues to remain operational in Russia and its neighboring nations of Belarus and Kazakhstan via its Exmo.me domain name. Thus, as the war between Ukraine and Russia continues, it will be interesting to see how crypto companies operating in the region adapt to new and shifting geopolitical realities. So there you go. The new shit coming out of the EU is wreaking havoc. Why? Because we still have the fiat legacy mindset and people built their exchanges around that mindset without any knowledge, without any, I mean, it's like how how far in the future did you have to look And that's why I think most of these exchanges are just bogus. They don't care about Bitcoin. They don't, they don't really care about a future where humanity is free from the shackles of this kind of crap. They don't really care about you. They don't care about Bitcoin. They don't care about decentralized this and board ape monkey that they just, they just want the fees, bro. They just want the fees. Trust me, bro. They just want the fees, bro. I mean, why do business with them at all? Just, I mean, if you got to get, if you, if you got to buy Bitcoin, use Strike or or Square. At least right now, technically, they're not in the shit. But they have built their businesses around the legacy financial system. And because of that, they're going to get tagged at one point or another. So you might as well get, while the getting's good, is all I got to say. But the, the, the thing, this is the theme that I've been seeing for the last few months. The chickens are coming home to roost because you built the chicken coop for chickens to roost in. If you didn't want the chickens to come home and roost build something other than something a chicken can roost on. You get my drift here. I is re fucking ridiculous. It's like we cannot break free of the legacy financial mindset because it is so ingrained in our psyche. We were raised by people who were raised by people who were raised by people who were raised that got lied to. And those lies perpetuated, they permeated, they expanded and they drifted and they changed in in different various ways as new generations came up. But essentially they carried the seed of the lie with them for generations. That's why it's so hard for people to not build an exchange that is going to be regulated into the sand. Can somebody please build an exchange that is truly decentralized? The only one that I know of is, uh, uh Hoddle, huddle And there's one other one, but they're not getting that much traction because of the coin and the Krakens it's up to us. We got to do it because Brian, whatever his name from Coinbase, is not going to do it. He's not. In fact, what he is going to do is he's going to sell 2% of coin stock to fund life extension and scientific research. Oh, joy. Z Wang brings us this one from Decrypt. Brian Armstrong, CEO of the world's second largest crypto exchange, Coinbase, announced on Twitter that he is going to sell off about 2% of his Coinbase holdings to fund scientific research, sending the stock price tumbling amid an executive exodus in the crypto industry. Armstrong tweeted on Friday, quote, I'm passionate about accelerating science and tech to help solve some of the biggest challenges of the world. To further this, I'm going to sell 2% of my Coinbase holdings over the next year to fund scientific research in companies like New Limit plus Research Hub. Whatever that is. I'm sure it's that life extension shit. Goddamn transhumanism is all over the damn place. Uh, According to Forbes, Armstrong holds about 19% of Coinbase's shares, putting his holdings at around $2.7 billion. This would make his scientific donations worth eh, $54 million. New Limit and Research Hub are both bankrolled by Armstrong, with the former dedicated to extending human life using epigenetic reprogramming... (laughs) read that as MRNA vaccines, and the latter set up to reward the, quote, open sharing and discussion of academic research through its own crypto token, (laughs) Research coin. (laughs) The CEO attempted to quell any doubts as to his confidence in Coinbase or crypto, writing uh, that he intends to be CEO of Coinbase for a very long time and is still super bullish on crypto and Coinbase. Quote, I'm fully dedicated to to growing our business and advancing our mission, but I'm also excited to contribute in a different way. Oh, joy. Look, he's got his little tweet up here and he's got his little board ape NFT thing in his, whatever, his bio. God, this guy's sick. Coinbase stock dropped almost immediately following his tweet on Friday from around $71 to $63.62. That's about 10% drop, guys. This follows the lackluster performance of Coinbase stock recently, which has barely budged from a $65 to $70 range since May. The stock is currently down 81% from its high of $342.98 last July. Coinbase's stock tends to trade in tandem with crypto prices and is often used as a bellwether for investor confidence in the wider crypto industry. So, life. Yeah, I wish they had said more about life extension. I, I honestly just think that that's... That doesn't surprise me for somebody like this guy. But we got other things to do here. Grayscale's GBTC climbs to a new record of 36.7% discount. This is not the all-time high you want if you're Barry Silbert. Crypto Potato uh, author Chanyaka Decca is writing this one. It's been a dull weekend for Bitcoin, struggling to clear $20,000 resistance zone, further indicating a potential case of dwindling institutional interest in the flagship cryptocurrency is the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust discount registering an all-time high. It was currently trading at a 36.7% discount against BTC spot prices, setting the largest discount in the history of the Bitcoin fund. The increased figures could also signal that players are looking at other alternative vehicles for BTC investments, such as ETFs. Arcane Research recently stated, quote, there are good arguments to be made to invest in GBTC at current discounts. The fact that discounts haven't narrowed suggests that Wall Street is either overlooking BTC opportunities or reluctant to commit to a long-term play on BTC. As sentiment improves, GBTC's discount may narrow. In turn, GBTC may absorb some of the BTC demand and thus reduce some potential upside in BTC." Quote. Today, GBTC is the largest BTC fund managing 635,240 BTC, which is about $12 billion and 3.3% of the circulating supply. And then there's a couple other bullet points to go over its history. But I, I think what's going on is that people are bored with GBTC. I think that they're just looking for other investment opportunities. GBTC is GBTC today because they were the only game in town for being able to have somebody else custody Bitcoin Giving you exposure to the Bitcoin price, but as new instruments have come online, eh, that's just looking on that's just kind of not looking as attractive. It's kind of looking a little boring, honestly. And you know, the human species, you know as we ape around and into everything that we can possibly get our hands onto, yeah, you know, we need excitement. We need that roller coaster. We need basically to live on adrenaline. Yeah, that's about as high time preference as you can possibly get in your thinking. If you, if you can't get excited about a investment because it's boring, then you probably don't need to be investing because at one point or another, that excitement is going to tank your ass because, because that risk taking behavior, that risk taking behavior, it doesn't mean never take any risk. I'm taking a huge risk on Bitcoin. Don't get me wrong. But I'm not aping into everything under the sun. And that's what I think has happened. When GBTC was all the rage and they were the only game in town, of course it was going to be flying high. But there's so much shit out there right now. You know, it's, it, it, G, I remember when GBTC was in the news constantly, constantly. Now, I get a story about GBTC out once every two weeks, maybe three that's how boring it's become. I'm not saying go get GBTC. I'm just saying, just be aware. It's, it's, it's just such a shit show out there. And guess who's going to take part of it? MasterCard. They're going to help banks offer Bitcoin and crypto trading. Nick Hoffman tells us more Bitcoin Magazine. MasterCard is set to announce plans today for a program to help institutions offer Bitcoin and cryptocurrency trading. MasterCard will work with Paxos to bridge the gap between banks and will manage the security and regulatory compliance, two big reasons what many banks have uh, have stated for avoiding Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, quote, there's a lot of consumers out there that are really interested in this and are intrigued by crypto, but would feel a lot more confident if those services were were offered by their financial institutions, said John Lambert, MasterCard's chief digital officer, whatever the hell that is. Lambert told CNBC that despite the bear markets, there is still a lot of demand for the asset class, quote, it would be short-sighted to think that a little bit of crypto winter heralds the end of it. We don't see that, end quote. He said, also, 60% of uh, respondents to a recent poll said that they would prefer to get exposure to Bitcoin and cryptocurrency through their bank. Quote, it's a little scary to some people still, he stated. MasterCard said that its role in this is to keep banks on the right side of regulation by following crypto compliance rules, verifying transactions, oak oh joy, and providing anti-money laundering and, of course, identity monitoring services. MasterCard's chief digital officer stated, quote, It's hard to believe that the crypto industry will truly go mainstream without embracing the financial industry as we know it. MasterCard is expected to pilot this product during the first quarter of 2023 and then will proceed to crank the handle to grow into more geographies. Uh, Lambert did not comment on which banks have already signed up for the program. That's the end of the article. Let's read that one sentence again. The Remember the theme of today and probably Friday and Thursday was that we, it's impossible for the human being, the modern human being today living in 2022 to break out of legacy financial thought. And it's because of sentences like this. It's hard to believe that the crypto industry will go mainstream without embracing the financial industry as we know it. I was right. I was right. Sorry, but I was right. I called it weeks ago. I started talking about this shit weeks ago. This has more to do with the human psyche than anything else. This has more to do with our upbringing than anything else. Do you realize just how installed a system the legacy financial system is into the brainstem of the human being at this point? It's no wonder people don't want to talk about crypto. They barely understand the shit that they're in, but it's just screaming from their lizard brain, you've got to embrace me. If without me, you're all gonna die. Yeah, that's, a, that's, I mean, the brain stem is the lizard brain. What else exists in the lizard brain? Fight or flight response, and the ability to regulate your breathing, your body temperature, and your heart rate, because we're just too stupid to do it all by ourselves. But guess what else is in there? The fear of losing the legacy financial system sits right next door and has barbecues and cooks ribs with fight or flight. That's how ingrained this shit is. I can certainly envision how the, quote, crypto industry will go mainstream without embracing the financial industry as we know it. I could totally see it. I know it's possible. But is it probable? See, that's the problem. It's not that it's impossible, it's clearly possible. The only thing that that needs to get out of the way are the people that have maneuvered themselves through centuries to get into and always remain in control. It's a control mechanism, that's all it is, we know that. But I don't think we fully appreciate just how embedded that system is into our upbringing think about the stew in which you were a child. What was your dad doing for a living? What was your mom doing for a living? Was she working? Were both parents working? Did you, I mean, if if you had a father and he wasn't working, was he staying home and like helping raise the kids cooking, you know, not getting fucking hammered all goddamn day and like actually doing stuff, you know? And if, if it was the mom staying home, you know, was she doing the same thing? Was she not getting hammered? You know, was she actually taking care of the kids and raising them well? If both parents were working, what, what were they exposed to? How scared of their 401k were they? How many discussions do you think you overheard but never really clued into that was programming your brain when you were, you know, four years old, six years old? You, you know, that you may not understand finance at that age, but you understand fear. And you can associate words used with that expression of fear from your parents. That's how it got there. It's going to take a century of deprogramming for the human being to come back to a natural state. We are not meant to live this way. Ladies and gentlemen, we are not somehow or another. We've been maneuvered into a state that the human being is fully alien inside. We're not supposed to be living this way. We're not supposed to be interested in the shit that the clown world is giving us. We're not supposed to depend on banks. We're not supposed to depend on anything other than a mutually agreed upon path to trade my time for your services. That's it. Everything else is up in the, you know, is that's how we got, you know, helped each other build barns and, and manage animals and, You know, husband ourselves to the land, but now we can't because that land is alone, which is a debt instrument, which we know is inherently evil. So we are automatically divorced from loving the land because it's like we're loving debt and we don't want to love debt because at least we have that as an inherent situation that also sits in our brainstem. So we suffer from cognitive dissonance and we have been doing so since the time of our great, great, great grandfathers. It's gonna take a century of deprogramming. If you're not in this for the long-term, and that means beyond your own mortality, then you're in the wrong game. That's gonna do it for the morning roundup. Dad says jokes, I just saw a 20,000 year old oil stain. It was from ancient Greece. Yes, indeedy. Good dad joke for this Monday. Go forth and execute all of your plans and do it with extreme prejudice. I'm saying, man, because it's going to take all of us together to understand and get other people to understand that the reason that they don't understand is they don't want to understand because it causes their brain pain. We can do it, though. We're going to win. It may take a long time. It may take a lot longer than any of us can possibly imagine, but humanity is going to win over these devious, evil hobgoblins, right? But it's going to take us all to work together. With all that said, if you want to support the show Podcasting 2.0 is the way to go, I use Fountain App. That's fountain.fm on uh, the, the interwebs. If you want to go look and see how you can get that shit on your phone as a podcatcher, you can send me satoshis direct from the podcasting app, and I will send you these dulcet tones in real time. Or you can send me a boostagram, which I really was hoping I'd have like four or five of those things today. But looks like the bear market is taking its toll. That's okay, ladies and gentlemen. If you just can't keep up with it, that's fine. I get it. I'm not really... I'm not really all that upset about it. The only thing that I'm upset about is that I really like reading y'all's boostergrams on air. It does it it does. It it connects me to people that I've never met. People that I don't know. You know, it and that it honestly that's amazing to me. And I want people to start using that technology more. Dude, if you can only afford 50 sats, do it. Send me something. Send me a gram. You don't have to give me a row of sticks or a row of duck or a striper boost or a rush boost or a, a Van Halen's 5150 boost. You don't have to do any of that. You give me 25 sats, 50 sats or something like that. I don't have a, I don't have a cap on what I will and will not read. I'm a small show, so it's okay. But I like that connection and I, I really want more of it. So Use podcasting 2.0, put down your old podcasting apps and pick them back up. Maybe if they ever get off their, off their ass and integrate full blown podcasting 2.0. I went to fountain app from overcast simply because it had enough features that I really liked and a wallet that I could hold satoshis in so that I could pay people. I could boost people. I can send them sats while they stream me their dulcet tones. That's why I did it. That's the only reason. And Fountain's a good app, but I would have stayed with Overcast had I known nothing about Podcasting 2.0. It's the only reason I did it. Anyway, so uh, with all that said, well, shit, I guess I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.